Let's welcome everyone's favourite wildcat, Toby. Don't, don't start. I wasn't going to mention High School Musical. I realised those that were here last week, this is becoming a bit of an in-joke thing now. And I wasn't going to mention it, and then he just mentions it, doesn't he? Wildcat. Um, anyway, I'm not going to. At the moment. It's so tempting. Um, but I won't go there. Um, I'm realising how many High School Musical fans there are here. So apologies if I offended anyone. Um, <laughs> I don't think I said anything derogatory, did I? Felt did it feel like a tip in? I know you hold it close to your heart, bit Troy. It's about time you took down the um, <laughs> you got rid of your um, Troy and Gabriella bedstead, though, isn't it? Really. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, hello. If you're here for the first time, <laughs> you might be thinking, what on earth are these people on? Um, uh, my name's Toby, nice to meet you if I'm meeting you for the first time. And um, last week I was uh, back at King's in Norwich and um, uh, last Sunday, and it was great because uh, there was familiar faces like Jack was there and the lead students. Who else was there? Lowest off wise. Jack, you were there. Put your hand up for the other lead students. Who were just Jack. Mike Bollinger was there because he was out of the back. Excellent, Chris. Brilliant. And um, have I got your name right there? Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> I'm just double checking all the time. Um, it was just wonderful. And Mike Bollinger was there because Mike was, um, uh, and did be praying for him and Ruth. They've tested positive for COVID and so on. So do pray for them uh, for good recovery. But yeah, Mike was there um, teaching on prophetic, I think, on lead last week. And um, also he brought a prophetic word for us at King's uh, during the meeting in the morning as well. And so I just love this whole thing of being part of relational mission. It's a family of churches, it's a family together. And it's, it's all both ways and friends encouraging each other both ways. So it was just great to be Blessed by by Mike and you guys from uh, here last week. Um, As Phoebe said, we're doing a series at the minute called A Family of Christ Followers, Lowestoft Community Church, Family of Christ Followers, who together, and then dot, 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 a different subject each week. And last week, Ben, you spoke on being, shared the gospel. Is that right? Got that right? Uh, This week, we're looking at who give generously. And if you've got a Bible, and uh, open it up, uh, turn it on. Flick to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, Old Testament. And um, interestingly, Chronicles was, well, I don't know if it's interesting to you or not, but Chronicles, um, even though it's in the kind of middle of the New Testament-ish, before Psalms, um, it was actually the last last book, um, chronologically speaking, in the Old Testament, in terms of the order of the books. And so Chronicles looks back on the Old Testament history of Israel's history and and looks at these stories really with the aim of, recounting them in a way to encourage, to inspire, to provoke um, God's people to faithfulness, um, to remind them of what God had done in the past so they can look forward with faith and walk with faith and have hope for the future as well. And the story that the the writer of Chronicles is recounting in in, um, Chronicles 29 is the story of the building of the temple. The people of God had had this sort of meeting place, which was a tent known as the tabernacle, and um, and then David, uh, the king, wants to build a temple, uh, but he's told that he's not going to build it. His son is going to build the temple. So we'll pick it up in 1 Chronicles 29. And also we'll be flicking forward into the New Testament a bit into 2 Corinthians chapter 8 as well. So you might want to put a finger in that if you've got a physical Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 as well. So 1 Chronicles, let's read verses 1 to 9. It says this. Then King David said to the entire assembly, 
My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is still young and inexperienced, and the work is great. It's a big work. For the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now, with all my ability, I have provided for the house of my God the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, you get the picture, wood for the things of wood, the onyx stones and inlaid stones of antinomy, and various colors and all kinds of precious stones and alabaster in abundance. Moreover, verse 3, in my delight in the house of my God, the treasure I have of gold and silver I give to the house of my God. Over and above all that I have already provided for the holy temple, namely 3,000 talents of gold, gold of Ophir, 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of gold and silver for the things of silver. You get the picture again, loads of money, loads of jewels, loads of stuff. Who then is willing, verse 5, who is willing to consecrate themselves this day to the Lord? Then the rulers of the fathers, households and the princes of the tribes of Israel to other people now getting involved, the commanders of thousands of hundreds and of hundreds with the overseers over the king's work offered willingly. And for the service of the house of God, they gave 5,000 talents and 10,000 darics of gold. Uh, I don't know exactly how much it is, but it's a lot. 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of brass and 100,000 talents of iron. Whoever possessed precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced. They celebrated because they'd offered so willingly for they made their offering to the Lord with a whole heart. And King David rejoiced greatly and was well happy. So a few things I want to draw out from this in relation to us here in Lowestoft and what God's called us to together. And the the first thing is this really is in verse one. The task is big. David says the work is great. It's not a small thing. And one of the programs I quite like watching is um, George Clark's Amazing Spaces. Anyone else like that? Oh, excellent. Went down better than High School Musical. <laughs> George Clark's Amazing Spaces. Um, I like it when he, the, these people, they transform these really tiny little things, like a little shed or a, or, or a little caravan or a, a little car or something like that. Anyway, I love it. And that's, you know, it could be like a one-person job, as it were. But here, it's a temple. This is a, this is a huge deal. And just... Um, so, you know, it's not that God is limited to these places. When you look through the Bible, you've got this theme of temple runs right through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, where in Genesis, the Garden of Eden, it's kind of like the temple. It's the dwelling place of God with man, with human beings. That's the point. And then you kind of get the fall and then you get into um, the, the tabernacle and so on, the promise of God being central with his people. So when they camped, they camped around the tabernacle. The tabernacle, this place of a meeting, God with people was in the middle of the people. And all the tents and tribes were positioned around it, centered on it. That's, again, the point, looking to restore something. Then you get the temple, this physical building being built. Massive deal. I mean, Temple Mount in Jerusalem, huge. Apparently, the, it, you know, it was overlaid. Was it over, I mean, anyway, when you approach Jerusalem, you see this building shining on the hill. Big deal. God is not limited by that. It's just restoring something. These things are the shadows pointing towards what God's always intended, God with his people. That's the story in Revelation, hearing read out earlier. And when Jesus comes on the scene, what does Jesus say about the temple? He says, this temple will be what? Pointing at it, destroyed. Not what, one brick won't remain on the other. But I will rebuild it in three days. Pointing and reminding the, the disciples, like, yeah, he was talking about himself. That Jesus is now the meeting place of God and people. 
that it's in Christ, it's through Jesus and what he has done that we can know God. And then he goes on to say the body of Christ, the church, is what? A dwelling place of God. It's the temple that each one of us are little sanctuaries. The Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians of God's dwelling place. But together there's something about that. Yeah. So there's a massive picture going on here. There's a big deal here. And for, for David, he wasn't gonna, this wasn't a George Clark's Amazing Spaces one-man job. This was everybody needs to be involved here, not just one person. It was beyond. And, and it's the same with us, isn't it? In what God has called the church to. It's not about one person doing this stuff. Like Ben was saying this morning, when we gather together on a Sunday morning, we know church is more than Sunday mornings. We absolutely know that. But when we gather together, each one has. It's not a one-person job. And we need that, what God's called us to as a church here. And, and we've been spending time recently as, as elders and, and wives and others. We're going to draw others in and just exploring. What is God saying to the church here for LTC for the future? What's God speaking to us about? And we'll be sharing those things hopefully in the coming months. But the task is big. And therefore the task, second point, verse 2, the task is bigger than any one person. And it goes beyond any of our lives. And so we need one another in that task. We can't do it on our own. Uh, not everyone is gifted in the same way, and no one has it all. Do Anyone here got it all sorted? Do church on your own? No, we need one another. We all have gifts, and we all have gaps. And our gaps are gifts, because where other people step in. I saw a lovely story once of a, um, an African lady and her son, and her son, and, she, and this African lady didn't have any arms. And it was a story of what her son did for her. And it was incredible, this story, just beautiful story of the way this, that they worked together. And as I watched this story, I thought, well, what a beautiful picture of my utter inability in so many things and how much I need other people. And I needed them to do for me what I cannot do for myself. We need one another. The task is beyond any of our individual abilities. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, is that no one in the body can say, not one part of the body can say to the other, I don't need you. We can't do that. We need one another. If it didn't feel so awkward, I'd get you to look around at everyone now. But I know it feels a bit awkward when we do that. <laughs> but you're all gifts in the church. You've all got a place. You've all got a part to play. That's true. But it's also beyond any one person's lifetime as well. David as you read through this, he was handing it over to his son, Solomon. He had a next generation mentality. In other words, what we do now in our lives matters for the future. In fact, the New Testament talks really leans into Paul, talks to Timothy. He says, you know, pass on to people who pass on to people who pass on to people, as it were. There's a kind of next generation deal. That we're not just building for what we've got now. We're not trying to just maintain what we've got. And David actually died before the foundations were even laid. And yet he gave massively to it. And we have to remember this always in church life, that we're always building on because of the sacrifices and the, the generosity of those that have gone before us. So I remember this at King's with um, lovely lady, Ethel. And, and Ethel, she used to um, buy, she'd save up her pension that she could buy lunch for students who would come into the church at King's. So she'd save it up, she'd have the students around, she'd buy them stuff. 
And that's building the church. That's building for future generations. It's her being generous. But it will go beyond our lifetime as well. And it's been a real joy to get to know people here as well. And one of the common themes I'm hearing coming out about those that have gone before, like Rob. I just hear story after story of just how wonderful he was. I spoke to Jenny earlier on in the week and asked if it was okay to sort of share. Because I didn't know him very well. I've met him a few times. But I've just heard story after story after story of his investment and the impact he had on people's lives. And he left a legacy. He left, he left something behind there for the future generations. Isn't that beautiful? Beyond his lifetime. Each one of us are called to be like that. Each one of us. So it goes beyond our lifetime. It goes beyond our abilities. We're not trying to manage and maintain what we've already got, but we're trying to move forward together in the things of God and use what we have to invest in, not thinking just, well, would this make my life better now? Actually, what impact is this going to have on future generations? On those at the back right now who are young. (laughs) Those who are not even born yet. That's the mentality God wants us to have, I think, in the local church. Yeah? So the task is big. The task is bigger than any one person, beyond any of our lives. And then each one, as they gave, they made a massive difference. I mean, as you read on through the Bible, they did it. This thing happened. that was beyond any one person. Suddenly, like, oh my goodness, this is actually happening. And it's amazing when you see things like that happen. Each one gives, each one brings what they have to the table, as it were. You get big results. We may feel sometimes that what we're giving is so small that our, our part, we think, oh, is it actually making any difference? I love it. Is it Mother Teresa when she was asked once, you know, the work you're doing in Calcutta, someone said to her, oh, it's just a drop in the ocean. And her brilliant reply, which I'm sure many of you know, was, well, the ocean is made up of many drops. Genius. Yeah, let's remember that when we feel like we're just a drop. <laughs> let's remember that the ocean's made up of many drops. So let's bring our gift. Let's do what God has told us to do and God will do the rest, as it were. Um, so what are the hallmarks that they're giving as well? Just a few things to draw out here. If, if we're a family of Christ followers who together give generous, generously, which I know you do. A few things here we read. They first gave themselves to God. Um, they made their offering to the Lord, it says in verse 9. There was this Godward um, direction. It was a Godward thing. It wasn't to impress others. It wasn't to look good to others. It was to God. Now, it's not because God needs our money. God isn't short of anything. Okay? He is complete in God's self. Yes? Yeah? So when we say we're giving to God, it's not because God's short of 10 quid. All right? He gives all to us and he's most glorified and actually when, when we come to him as the receivers. But giving to God, and in fact in 2 Corinthians you go there, I think it puts it really in the way that it's meant to be understood. It says they gave themselves first to God and then to us before they gave financially into things. They gave themselves first to God. It's speaking about this commitment to God, this, this lordship of Christ deal first and foremost, that this is for God. And it's really important that that's in place first. Before we give, we give ourselves first to God because everything else flows from that place, from following Jesus. Someone put it this way. They said, the giving of oneself 
is expressed in the giving of one's wealth. The giving of oneself gets expressed in the giving of one's wealth. It's an outworking of giving yourself to following Jesus. It's generosity. They gave themselves to God. Then secondly, they gave wholeheartedly. Now, children, this is where you come in. I've given the children, well, I say I. That's the royal we. Phoebe has sorted some packets of sweets. I've got some jelly babies here as well because I love jelly babies. And I don't get them enough, to be honest. Darling. I'm going to eat one now, which isn't good when you're speaking with a microphone. But I love the green ones. They're really nice. Now, look, we've given some bags of sweets to the children. Now, would you like them to keep them to themselves? Or would you like them to share with you lot? You'd like them to what? And what do we say? Excellent. So children, did you hear that? Are you willing to share or do you want to keep them to yourselves? Shall I share mine as well? What do you reckon? Should we do it together? Okay, brilliant. Well, there's some sweets now. Look, this is sweetie time. Jelly babies. Who wants a jelly baby? Ben's first hand up. Look, look at that. There we go. Go on, hand the sweets out. Come on. Hands up if you want sweets. Come on, get, wave, wave. Everyone, everyone wants sweets. We're going to have problems here. I don't know how many sweets we've bought, to be honest. Yeah. So, I you want a green one as well, don't you, Pauline? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> They're the best, aren't they? I realise COVID-wise, this might not be great. I'm just, I'm, I'm just realising that now as I... So, <laughs> he says that he breathes over them as well. Sorry for anyone. Gen- genuinely. Genuinely. Um, I don't know what to do with them now. You can have one. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I'll let them hand the packets out because they've got packets and then you can share them. Unless anyone really wants a jelly baby desperately. Dean does. Yeah, you want a jelly baby. Okay, excellent. Come on, keep handing them. Keep your hands up, waving if you want sweets. Look, these are free sweets. Take them. Wonderful. Now all you're going to be doing is eating sweets rather than listening. Right, are we done? Everyone's got their sweets. Open them up now and eat them quietly. You haven't got any. Do you want some jelly babies? Come on, look, you, look you're looking left out. Oh, look, sad faces. There you go, have the rest. Look. That's all right. I was in, um, <clears throat> a number of years ago, when uh, we, we go over and spend a bit of time in Kenya sometimes. And in fact, the first time I went across was with, with Ben and Mike and so on. It was a great time, but been a number of times since. And one time when we were traveling back to Nairobi, I bought some sweets for the journey. And, um, you know, get on a plane. I like a sort of a Werther's or something to suck or something like that on the plane. So I had my bag of sweets or boiled sweets. And, um, but we drive up to, the, to this um, place where some, um, someone lives. We, we were staying with them in Nairobi or, or visiting. And we drive up to the gates because it's a kind of gated community. And I thought, well, I'll be generous and wholehearted in my giving and share a sweet with the guard on the gate. And so I got my bag of sweets, and the guard on the gate was, hi, how are you doing? I offered him there. He took the entire bag from me. These were my sweets. I bought for the plane, long journey ahead. And I've got to be honest, in that moment, it wasn't wholehearted giving. It genuinely wasn't. It was slightly begrudging. I'm going to look bad if I take these back. And I was like, no, please share them with your family. 
Um, and inside, though, it wasn't wholehearted, but God loves this wholehearted generosity that flows from knowing him and, 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 and that sharing, this wholehearted giving. And that's what we see here as well, this abundant giving. Gen- David does it. He's an example. And then it has an effect on others as well. When people share with us, it makes us kind of you know, think, actually, do you know what? Maybe I'll share with someone else. It, has a, it does have an influence. Yes, it has a knock-on effect when we're generous with people. When, when someone's generous with you, you think, oh, wow, I, I, I love this. <laughs> this is good. I'll do that for someone else. It's more blessed to give than receive, Jesus said. And so this wonderful, abundant generosity, and this is meant to not stop with point, looking at David, thinking how amazing David was or the people, but point us to Jesus, the ultimate generous one. It says in 2 Corinthians that Jesus was rich, Yet for your sake, he became poor so that through his poverty, you might become rich. And he's not talking of material abundance there. Okay, This isn't prosperity gospel. He's talking about the richness of his grace and his mercy and his love towards us. That's the promise. And our giving, any giving we do financially must flow from this place of grace and being overwhelmed with the generosity of God in what Jesus has done for us. If it isn't, then we become pretty miserable givers. We'll get onto that in a minute. It must flow from a place of grace. They gave generously. That flows on from it, really. A personal cost to themselves. Again, that's pointing um, to Jesus again on the cross. That there's, there's sacrifice in giving. I am now down a bag of jelly babies. That's cost me. <laughs> it costs to give, doesn't it? But there's joy in it. And one of the verses in 2 Corinthians, chapter 8, verse 2. Do turn to it, because if you've got a Bible. Because um, I must admit, every time I read this verse, it challenges me. It talks about the, um, the churches of Macedonia and these Christians. It says that, that in great ordeal of affliction, that out of their abundant joy and deep poverty... They overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. In other words, they gave generously. But the two things there are that there was affliction and deep poverty, it says here. Wow. That that does challenge me. They were known for their generosity, but it wasn't from a place of necessarily abundance. And it's not about beating ourselves up, you know, with these things. You know, oh dear, I better do this. No, Lord, just change my heart and... Help me understand the generous generosity of you to me and help me understand the sacrifice for me that out of that grace and knowing that I will I will give and be generous. But even out of a place of severe poverty, they gave sacrificially. It will cost us. It will cost us. We will feel it. But they gave freely as well. Verse 9, they offered willingly, not forced. You know, if I was to ask Ben for, Ben, can you give me five quid, please? Bank transfer, don't talk nonsense. Let, but, okay, let's, let's say Ben was refusing to give me five pounds. No, thank you, Ben. Stand up. Now, let's say I get Ben's army, right? Don't resist, please, because you'll show me up. Um, <laughs> let's say I get Ben's arm, and I put it up behind his back, and I say, Ben, you're a good mate. Would you give us five pounds, please? And I'm yes. twisting his arm, right? <laughs> Sit down. That's right. You can eat your sweets now. The point is... We don't give because someone twists our arm, because someone guilt trips us. 
or anything like that. The New Testament does not speak about our giving like that whatsoever. It's not guilt-driven or arm-twisting. It says that in, in getting 2 Corinthians, it says they gave of their own accord, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Again, any kind of giving that we engage in, it's got to come from this place of grace where we're generous because of God's generosity to us. That that's the driving force behind it. Because actually, that if we end up giving out of guilt, or we think we should do, or we ought to, or I better do it, it's a done thing, or, oh dear, God's not going to be very pleased with me, or, you know, if I don't do this, and it's kind of like a, it won't last. I don't think our giving will last. We won't grow in it, and to be honest, we won't be very happy in it either, which they gave joyfully here, the verse 9, they rejoice gratefully. And then 2 Corinthians 9, 7, God loves a what? A grumpy giver? Cheerful, joyful, happy, giver. God loves it when we just give generously, joyfully. The Spanish nun said these words in the 1500s. Teresa of Avilia, Spanish nun. From silly devotions and sour-faced saints, spare us, O Lord. <laughs> that great prayer from a nun. Sour-faced saints. Maybe she's been a bit, you know, sometimes we do feel a bit. I'm not saying. But you get the point, hopefully. That, that it's just, Lord, please. We... Joy isn't a superficial thing. It doesn't mean we don't grieve and we don't get upset and we don't have bad days and down days and no days and all the rest. I get that. And we don't suffer from depression, all sorts of things. We do. We do. But I get, when we give, though, there's meant to be a, a joy in it. There's a, it's just not a begrudging thing. You know, fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy, isn't it? And then I love it also in 2 Corinthians as well, that the result of their giving resulted in gratitude as well. Because it resulted in thankfulness. And it's like that when we get to give. There's suddenly thankfulness and, you know, also, and people you might never meet. I love that as well, that our giving, sometimes we give into things, we ain't got a clue. You know, we might never meet the people that it benefits that are giving thanks, but it will result in that. In all the things that we're doing together as a church, that we give into. Like Ben has said, we give into, yes, releasing people into ministry. We give into practical things. There's stuff to pay for. But we give into the things we're serving in the community. And we might not be there when, you know, things like whether it's in the food bank or fish or cap or something like that. Or, you know, people are being served and there's thankfulness going on. But this is some, some of our giving's going into that. And the result is thankfulness. Yeah? And so it's wonderful to partner together to give into these things. And so I just want to encourage you, really. That if you're new to church, if you're new to um, giving, if you've never kind of got into that habit of regular giving, Bible talks about um, sort of each week, set aside a sum of money, think carefully about it, be diligent about it, be regular about it. Yes, there's this principle of 10% that you get in the Old Testament, but that's not even quite clear that it's exactly 10%, but there's a good principle there to maybe work too. But also, if you've been giving regularly over many, many years, you might have got in the habit of it. I'll tell you, it's very easy just to kind of plateau. Isn't it? Get in the habit. Well, that's what I give, and I've been giving that for years. It's good to maybe just get before God again and say, Lord, just help us just to think about what it look, generosity looks like. It'll look different for different people. You mustn't beat anyone up over the head or anything like that. But I'd encourage you to think about it. Because what God's called us to together, I mean, put it plainly, it's going to cost money. It will. Yeah, it just will. And it's not the first thing, but it is a thing. And it is important. 
And therefore, we give together. We see things, great things happen together. And um, how to do it, you know, that slide that went up earlier, that's got details on it. Come and talk to someone afterwards, the practicalities about it. I really want to honor uh, yeah, Mel. You did some finance and stuff like that. Thank you, Mel. And thank you, trustees as well, who help manage things very much behind the scenes. Can you give them a round of applause? Put your hand up if you are. First of all, give them a wave if you're a trustee. And Mel, Mel, go on, just quickly. Thank you so much, you guys. We value you massively. There's so much goes on behind the scenes in a local church. People serving in all sorts of ways. And these guys are, are key in the sort of diligent management of the finances. That key resource of the church. I'm going to stop there. Um, I just want to, should we stand? Um, Ben's going to, um, you're, can you lead us in communion, mate? Is that right in a minute? Um, but I just want to read this verse out um, from, it's a, it's a um, paraphrase in the message of verse 5 from this passage. And it's a question. He phrases it, it's a question in verse 5 here, but in the message, I love the way he captures this. And just think about this. In our own lives, you might be giving, and thank you, by the way. If you're a regular giver, thank you. We can't do what we do without you. We can't do it, can we? So thank you. But it says this, verse 5, and now, how about you? Who among you is ready and willing to join in the giving? How about you? Who among you is ready and willing to join in the giving? And Lord, I just want to thank you for those that regularly give. I want to thank you, Father, for the generosity of the church, for stuff given last week to help people. I want to thank you, Lord, for every, every person counts, every penny counts. And Lord, we're grateful that together, it is a big task you've called us to, but Lord, together, as we stand together, as we give together, as we give generously together, then Lord, you will do great things from that. Lord, and we're grateful. Amen.